Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to episode number 18 of the Basketball Card Podcast. I'm your host, the 27 Guy. Again, thank you for downloading the podcast. You can follow me at the 27 Guy uh, on Twitter, or you can PM me on blowout cards if you have questions or other things that you'd like for us to discuss or answers uh, for questions you have or about the basketball card hobby. Um, so hit me up at either of those places. Um, to, on today's show, we, we've got a lot of things to talk about, but as often happens, not enough time to talk about them, so we'll fly through them. But just as a quick rundown, I want to talk a little bit about the hobby implications of the way that the finals are going right now at this point in time. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how uh, it affects LeBron's legacy and um, some other things. I want to talk a little bit about the problems with the, the NBA right now and um, discuss a little bit about the solutions, uh, to potential solutions to those problems. Uh, the Michael Jordan vintage market seems to be doing some interesting things again, and so I want to talk about that. And then um, I've got a few other little things there at the end, but let's start us off quick today by talking quickly about where we are in the Golden State Cleveland series and how that impacts the hobby. So today um, is Tuesday the 7th, I believe. Yeah, June 7th. And the series is 2-0. The Warriors are destroying the Cavs. Not only are they destroying them in that it's 2-0, but neither game has been close. Both have been blowouts. You've heard all of the pundits say what they're going to say about the, about the games not being close. I don't really want to talk about the, that, except for one fact that I think is interesting, and that is that um, the guys that had the most to gain hobby-wise are always the superstars. And so I think that the, the world of basketball card collectors right now doesn't really know how to handle the finals because this is basically the worst thing that could have happened for from a collector's perspective. Um, now, if you're an individual collector of, of, a, of a player or of the team, I don't think it's the worst thing that could happen. But the way that Steph and the way that Clay have played so far, there's nothing that they've done that will um, benefit the value of their stuff, which is too bad, right? Uh, we'd like to see somebody's stuff taking a bump from the finals, but, but no one's going to get that because it's been more of Sean Livingston and Draymond Green that have won them the series so far. Um, and LeBron James, it would have been nice to see him come out and really fight and, and, uh, and, win, and win a little bit um, because then you get into the talks of, you know, is this one of the best players of all time? And that sort of thing is always good for the market value of a player of LeBron's stature. So we don't have any of that, though. We have Sean Livingston and Andre Iguodala and um, Draymond Green playing well, and I'm, I suppose Draymond's stuff has probably taken a little bit of a bump, but um, it's not the best thing from a hobby perspective. Hopefully what we can see in the rest of these games is more compelling storylines, closer games. It would be wonderful to see the Cavs win a couple of games, even for the benefit, the financial benefit of... Uh, Golden State Warrior collectors, um, for Steph Curry collectors, it would be beneficial to see them struggle and then come back and win it because drama equals views and views equals more people who are interested in purchasing um, that stuff. So 
Um, it's I think it's too bad so far. There, there's not a lot. There's not a lot to do with it from a collector's perspective, at least in my opinion. Um, I think it's interesting to think about how this affects LeBron's legacy. I was talking with a coworker today um, who was saying something about LeBron being one of the best ever, and I like the conversation about who is the best ever or who is the best small forward ever or the best you know, big man ever and, and things like that. It's fun comparing players across generations even though it's not really possible to do that very well, um, at least in my opinion. I, I do think it's interesting to consider those things. And I think that the only way that you're going to be able to compare LeBron or say that he's one of the best ever is by looking at, at the end of his career, his career statistics. I think he still has a chance to be the NBA's all-time leading scorer. He has a chance to be the NBA all-time leading playoff scorer. He has a chance to go to the finals more than anyone in, in the history of the modern NBA, at least in modern NBA history. He has a chance to, um, I mean, he's gone to the final six straight years. He's got a lot of the, he'll have the mo maybe the most all-star games, the most, um, at one point it looked like he had a chance to have the most two consecutive 2,000-point seasons, but I think Bill Simmons even wrote in his book that that was a lock, that he would beat Carl Malone's record for that. But at this point he has not done that. He's let his scoring go a little bit. But I think it's safe to say he's the sort of guy that could go score 20 points a game in his sleep for probably the next eight years um, just because the way he plays right now isn't the way he'll always have to play. He could develop more of a post game and um, and go into the post and be less of a shot creator and more of a shot taker at the end of the clock. And I think he could still score a lot. But anyway, I digress. The, re the reason that I mention that is I think in terms of his historical sort of aggregated statistics, you can make a compelling case of him being one of the best ever. But I think if you're the sort of person who evaluates a player's career and puts a heavy weight on how they how they done how they did in postseasons, um, LeBron doesn't have a whole lot um, to stand on. He hasn't had the greatest amount of success. Yes, he's gone to six finals, and that's amazing. He's been in a historically weak conference, and other than the Celtics, um, that that were able to beat him uh, towards his, the end of his time in Cleveland. Um, he hasn't had a whole lot of great competition. Um, and so his his road to the finals hasn't always been difficult, and, and that's been fairly clear based on his results when he's gotten to the finals. He looks healthy this year, and so does his team, and they just look terrible. And it's an indictment on him because he put the team together and acted in more of a GM sort of capacity. At least that's the way that the media makes it sound. Um, I think I don't I don't think this is good for him. I think when you look at the two final two championships that he does have, he's got one over a, a Thunder team that was younger than he and his Miami Heat team were at the time, and he's got a championship against the Spurs that had he not been saved by Ray Allen and by Chris Bosh on a rebound um, after he missed two of three, two of three three-pointers in the last minute of that game, he wouldn't have had that one either. And so he's got two championships, one against a young team, a younger team than him, and one because, in large part, 
of, of um, a role player who saved him. That's different than a role player who wins a game like a John Paxson or Steve Kerr did for Michael Jordan. It's a role player that actually saved him. He, he couldn't have won without Ray Allen hitting that shot and Chris Bosh getting that rebound. So I'm kind of a believer that this is uh, that this tarnishes LeBron's legacy. I uh, have a hard time figuring how people can put him in the top two or three players ever. I think you can make a pretty compelling case for him being six, seven, and eight. Um, in fact, that's probably where I'd put him is around eight to eight or nine. But um, he still has a ways to go, and I think that this is too bad because it's hard to envision him getting to a place quickly now where he's going to be able to go be the guy again. It seems like his time maybe has passed, and that came quicker than I think we thought that it would. Having said that, we kind of could see that coming this whole year too. So um, it's just staggering now to see them losing so badly to the Warriors. I predicted that the Warriors would win the series in five. Looking back on that, um, I think I think my my reasoning was pretty sound. I th I think I still think there's a very good chance that they'll win Game Three with um, the momentum that they'll have from their um, from the support that they'll have from their crowd. But I don't think they can win both games there. I hope they do. I hope I'm wrong. But I, I, f I felt from the beginning like uh, Cleveland would win game three and Golden State would win the rest of the games. And that will also give Golden State the chance to win this year at home, whereas they had to win the championship in Cleveland last year. Um, it's unfortunate, too, because this leads me to my next point. It's unfortunate that the, the playoffs have gone this way because the East was so poor um, Cleveland just walked over everyone, and and it didn't feel like any of those other seven teams in the Eastern Conference were really good. It, it didn't feel like they played each other well. It didn't feel like the, the, the level of competition was very high, but you kind of had to feel like, well, Cleveland's walking over everyone. They only lost two out of their 14 games that they played in the in the Eastern Conference playoffs. And so there was some hope that they were a high-quality team, but much like uh, Boise State that plays against a small conference in college football year after year, I believe I said this on the, on the podcast last week, it's hard to know how good they are until they face serious competition. And that's what we're seeing with the Cavs is, is you know, they dominated the East and, and, and then they go against the West and they're getting dominated. And so for what seems like about the 25th straight year, we're talking about how much the West has completely dominated the Eastern Conference. That's not just in terms of who wins the championship, because obviously we've had a lot of Eastern Conference champions, but the road through the playoffs to get to the finals, the road to the finals has been so much more difficult in the Western Conference, really basically since Jordan retired. And so you have people who are like, oh, it'll reverse itself it'll, at some point. It'll reverse itself at some point. We may need to look at the fact that um, that that may not be the case. There are things that, that make that so. Uh, you have situations where teams in a, a, a stronger conference are often um, are often bumped out of the playoffs and then they get a better draft pick than the worst teams at the end of the playoffs in the other conference. For example, this year, the Jazz and the Pelicans uh, missed the playoffs by not a lot. Um, specifically the Jazz, 
and they'll have a better draft pick this year than those teams at the end of the Eastern Conference. And I think most people would agree that the Jazz were a better team than the um, teams at the end of the Eastern Conference. And that happens year after year. And so where the Jazz draft 12th, they're drafting in a better position than a team that is going to draft at 15th that's not as good as they are. And that sort of cumulative effect year over year may may hurt the, the conference imbalance, um, the conference balance even more. Um, there's some other things that may also add uh, to, to that to that significant imbalance. I think there are more teams in the Western Conference where they're the only show in town. A team like the Jazz, a team like the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, the Portland Trailblazers, the Sacramento Kings. A lot of these franchises are the only pro professional franchises within their cities, and uh, what, uh, what happens there is they have more support from the community, more momentum, and they're more focused on by, by the fans. And so more resources, more thought goes into them. And uh, this, is just, this is just a theory, but, but the, the teams end up being better. And so, you know, therefore what? What do we do? What should the NBA do? Well, I think there's some real easy things that, that the NBA can do to fix the problem. Uh, but the thing you have to understand is everything has an impact. So I've read a lot of people saying they should just do 1 through 16, the best teams. There is a problem with that. And the problem is that that really hurts rivalries. And it, it necessitates a change to the 82-game schedule. Uh, the 82 game schedule, as you likely know, uh, the you you face teams of the of the opposing conference twice, once at home and once on the road. You play teams within your division four times, two times at home, two times on the road, and then the rest of the teams in the conference are either played three or four times. And so there's a very regulated, similar schedule year over year over year. Whereas um, if you were to do it one through sixteen. Now suddenly it doesn't make sense to have um, the West play the West more than, than they play the East. Now suddenly you're thinking more about travel things and thinking, um, thinking about how rivalries will be reduced. And there's some other negatives. But I think, and, and, and then the other thing is that that affects the draft lottery and the draft and, um, and all the things work together. But it's my belief that the league needs to figure out a way to incentivize teams to always win, to prevent tank tanking, to incentivize them to win every single game, too. I think the the resting that happens at the end of the year is a problem, and that and that, um, fans, if they if they pay for tickets, uh, should should see the best, um, should see the best that their teams have to offer, and there should always be a reason to try to win, and that. Um, that should be true of teams that don't look like they are going to make the play. Like there, there are teams in the Western Conference this year that knew literally 10 games into their season, we don't have a chance to make the playoffs. We don't have a chance to go anywhere this season. And that's bad. That means that their last 72 games have no value. So I have some ideas on how to fix that. Um, and I, I, I will share that. I will share those in one of the next two podcasts. The next one will probably be talking about the Warriors winning the championship in four or five games. I hope I'm wrong about that. I hope I'm wrong. I hope it's six or seven. I don't think I am. I think the Warriors win this thing in four or five, but I guess we'll see. Um, 
after that podcast, though, I want to take a deep dive into what the NBA needs to do to fix its problems because I have some pretty strong, passionate thoughts about how to do that. And I think this is a good place to do that since the majority of listeners are smart NBA folks. Um, and uh, if you have any thoughts on that, I'd love to hear them. So anyway, that's a little bit about some of the problems in the NBA. Um, last couple of points that I want to hit real fast. Um, I think the Jordan market from the uh, Star XRC to the early 90s graded stuff, there's lots of funky stuff going on in there, and I think there's lots of factors at play. Um, there are lots of people that have um, really hoarded the vintage Jordan stuff. There are a lot of people who co are coming into the hobby with more money, and they want to put their money in something that seems reliable. And I think people feel like, based on looking at where the trajectory of the Jordans over the last five years, that Jordan is a safe place to put their money. Um, I think I think there's a couple other factors at play, but what we're seeing is there's a lot of people on the boards talking about Jordan stuff, a lot of people noticing the changes in prices. There have been a few places where you can see pretty clearly defined shilling and market manipulation of the Jordans, and and again this is to a lot of things. We know about the Star X. There was there was a Star XRC, a couple of eight fives that sold for record prices. And by sold, I mean closed at auction. And then that immediately, that was preceded by a nine going up for auction. So if you think about this for a second, if you owned a, a specific card, a card that was graded a nine, it was a very rare card. And there were a couple other cards out there that you could put up for eight fives and manipulate those, not as, they, they, they weren't necessarily real, but manipulate them to look one way and draw a lot of attention to them. The Jordan XRC has a lot of appeal to it. It's a rare Jordan rookie card, extremely rare. It's one of the it's one of the high dollar cards I've actually never owned. I don't know if I've ever seen one in person. It's a very important card, and so it has a great appeal. And so when the market starts to move, people notice that. Then they list the nine, and the nine's obviously a lot better than the eight fives. There's a lot fewer nines than there are eight fives. And suddenly you have a situation where that card sells for an awful lot of money. Um, I can't confirm whether it was paid for, the 9 was. I can't even entirely confirm that the 8 fives weren't real. But based on the information that you, that you see out there, it seems like those were artificially inflated. We're seeing it with a lot of things right now, though. There was a guy who listed a whole bunch of exquisite limited logos here a couple of weeks ago that went for prices that, don't, that didn't feel right, that... It just didn't seem close, and as you looked at the bidding, they, it didn't seem right either. And so there's lots of funky stuff that's going on. There's people who are shilling. There are people who are shilling against a shill to make it even look worse so that people won't bid on it next time it's relisted. There's lots of games being played, and people are trying to figure out which side to go on. Um, but I, I digress with the exquisite stuff, specifically on the Michael Jordan stuff. And so for those of you who are out there, watch that. Know that we've been through several cycles in the history of the hobby of Jordan getting extremely hot. Um, there were the shop at home days. There were the 90s insert days. There were a couple of different stages of the 90 insert days. And, and each time it's the same thing where there's this unnatural change in the value. This real, this bubble that just, um, I, I, bubble's not a fair word. Uh, there's this really 
amazing price increase that's that's followed by sort of this sensational yes we need to all collect jordan we need to all get jordan and then all of a sudden everyone looks around at each other and goes wow there's just a ton of jordan stuff out here and then the the bubble pops and the prices all come back down i don't know that that's what's going to happen with the vintage stuff again because there's more people bringing their money to the hobby and and so i'm interested to see how it's all going to play out but we've seen it before there is market manipulation there is especially on the psa graded stuff and the stuff again from the xrc's to the early 90s just be really cautious of that and know when people say to you oh jordan stuff will never go go down you can remind them that it has multiple times before i was there for i've been there for all of it stuff is not always valued the way it's not necessarily um it's not necessarily foolproof nothing is foolproof in, in investing and nothing is foolproof in cards so keep that in mind um the last thing that i want to mention is um i bought a couple of high-end items lately and been contacted by other people in the hobby and i i don't know how to put this without um i guess it's not a big deal there are several big players in the market right now. And I'm talking really high quality um, individuals, high net worth individuals that are purchasing expensive items. And I know several of them. I'm not just talking about one person. There are several of these guys out there. And the high-end market is doing something that is interesting. And that's why I say with the Jordan XRC, you never know because there's not that many of them out there. And it has a, that story has a, or that card has a great story to tell. Um, and if you're an owner of that card, you have a great story to tell. So I'm just not going to look past, look at any high end card and, and doubt it at this point. To know what some of, um, I know what a couple of the Logo Man autos out of National Treasures sold for this year. And, were at insane levels, except for the fact that there's multiple people out there that are paying those insane level prices, not just for National Treasures logo, logo man. I mean, you look at the product that I've been doing, Eminence. I had to pay $1,200 for a Carl Malone patch auto one of one recently, and I was willing to pay it. And there were other people who were willing to pay over a thousand as well. And then I got PMs. I should say I got a PM versus blow, via blowout that said, "Hey, just in case you ever move this, it costs. Know that I'd be willing to to, to buy it for that." Um, there, there, there's a lot of that out out there right now, um, where where people are really going after the high end stuff. And so it's cool for me to see some of our people who collected with us in the 90s come back to the hobby with more money now and trying to figure out how what what they want to collect and what they want to do and like I always say the hobby is a great place to be whether you've got a dollar to spend a month or a hundred thousand dollars to spend a month you've there's just there's a lot of ways to make it fun for you and so um, I would encourage you all as you look at how you're collecting whether it be um, the high-end stuff the low-end stuff the middle, the old, the set collector, the player collector, the team collector. Um, there's a million ways to collect. Collect what you like. Enjoy the hobby as much as you can. Don't let anyone try to tell you what you should buy or what's the best deal or anything. Go out and figure out how you want to do it. And um, 
let's make the hobby great again. Try to introduce it to try to introduce it to people. Try to bring it up at work or in different places. I think if you if you bring it up and you show people what the hobby actually is, to see what some of the stuff sells for and some of the ways that you can make it interesting to you. I think other people will find it interesting too. So anyway, on that note, thank you guys for joining me again for the Basketball Card Podcast. Uh, PM me via blowout with any questions. Hit me up on Twitter at the 27 guy. Uh, recommend the show to the friend, uh, to a friend. And uh, until next week, happy collecting.